um, interested in tech entrepreneurship and disruptive technologies. Um, was one of the earliest product managers at YouTube. Um, and then 2014 was, you know, another happy accident. Someone smarter than me was like, hey, there's going to be this new thing called Ethereum. Um, maybe it'll be, you know, the next Bitcoin. I was like, that sounds cool. I tried to access my wallet but at the time. Like everything was so immature, right? No one was even using MetaMask. It was the um, desktop client called Mist and it was like really buggy. Um, my password didn't work. It took me a good like week and a half to figure out how to get into my account. And then I got really, uh, really hooked, right? So that's when I started digging deeper into the community, trying to understand uh, what the potential ramifications of smart contract technology could do. This could be hugely transformative. Um, I need to like go all in. And so that's when Josh and I decided to go all in into crypto. It started out a little bit as an NFT launchpad uh, where uh, celebrities and influencers could launch NFTs. Uh, we did Blau's uh, $11.7 million sale that really kind of set headlines for the entertainment industry. Uh, Paris Hilton, really cool celebrities and influencers as well as like NFT artists like Trevor Jones or uh, a lot of money. It's a really interesting uh, drop with um, SpaceX. Well, today I'm super excited to be joined by Matt, uh, founder of Origin Protocol. Uh, super excited to have you here, Matt, and uh, talk all the inner workings of the protocol and what you've built at Origin. Thanks so much for having me, Logan. I'm really excited to uh, engage with you and uh, your broader community, and I'm always excited to talk about uh, what we're building at Origin. Perfect. I, I, I would love to maybe before even getting to, into some of the backstory of Origin itself, start with a little bit about yourself, how you got into the crypto scene, how you fell down the rabbit hole, so to say. Yeah, sure. Um, I like to call it almost like a happy series of accidents, um, but I've always been um, interested in tech entrepreneurship and disruptive technologies. Um, was one of the earliest product managers at YouTube. Um, coming out of school. Um, and then um, later on, Google acquired us. I spent a number of years there. Um, but I always had that startup itch again, right? And being part sure, of that YouTube could be a, absolutely... another podcast in itself. Oh, yeah. It was just like such an amazing journey to see how much impact um, disruptive technology could have. And, and YouTube was just like one of those rocket ship companies. Um, and so thereafter, I was always kind of like searching for like, hey, what is next where I can kind of devote my career to something that is going to have global impact is going to um, really transform the world and is also just really personally intellectually stimulating. Um, so it took me um, a number of years to find my way into crypto. Um, I joined a couple other startups and um, that wasn't uh, necessarily the same experience as YouTube, even though they were great um, startups and also had um, exits as well. And then in 2013, I began my entrepreneurial journey. Um, it was about the same time, I think like maybe like late 2012 or so, where I uh, first bought some Bitcoin um, I wish I was earlier, even earlier to the mix. There were, you know, people smarter than me that were telling me to uh, pick up a bag in 2011, and I didn't quite get it at the time. Right? It took me a number of exposures to just um, decide to start dabbling a little bit, um, and then I actually forgot about it. Right? And so that was kind of like the first, um, you know, happy accident of like, okay, sure, I'll, I'll put some money in Bitcoin and then just not look at it for a few years. Um, and then 2014 was, you know, another happy accident. Someone smarter than me was like, hey, there's going to be this new thing called Ethereum. Um, maybe it'll be, you know, the next Bitcoin. I was like, that sounds cool. And I didn't do much research at all. And I was like, yep, I'll put some money in the Ethereum um, ICO, crowd sale, like whatever you want to call it. I don't think they call them ICOs because it's the first one. Um, and I forgot about it again, right? And I continued on my path trying to be an entrepreneur in different industries, pivoted around a couple of times, um, did manage to build 
um, a couple different businesses that ended up doing well. Um, and um, yeah, they were generating revenue and I was just operating them. Um, but then in 2016, um, I guess like the next accident was just like the Ethereum um, DAO hack, right? And that started making some news in tech circles. I was like, oh, this sounds familiar. Like, I think I have this Ethereum thing. Um, let, let, me, let me try to figure it out, right? But I wasn't entirely sure if I um, had even invested, but it sounded familiar. That's like, you know, um, the, the weird serendipity that happened. And then I go through a bunch of old emails like, yeah, I did invest in this thing. Tried to access my wallet at the time. Like everything was so immature, right? No one was even using MetaMask. It was the... Um, desktop client called Mist, and it was like really buggy. Um, my password didn't work. It took me a good like week and a half to figure out how to get into my account um, using like command line tools, right? Cool. To directly interface um, with the wallet. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. I do have Ethereum. It's worth a lot of money now. What the hell is going on? And then I got really, um, really hooked, right? So that's when I started digging deeper into the community, trying to understand uh, what the potential ramifications of smart contract technology could do. Um, and understanding the ethos of um, all of the early Ethereum developers as well. And I was like, hey, this is um, this could be hugely transformative. Um, I need to like go all in. And so that's when Josh and I decided to go all in into crypto. Um, first uh, year or so, 2016, uh, we were largely um, trading, right? So uh, again, the infrastructure was just very, very nascent. We built our own portfolio management tools. We built some bots. Um, that alerted us to, you know, price changes that um, informed trading. Uh, we had some like automated, um, you know, uh, DCA bots to just buy Bitcoin and Ethereum every single day, identify triangle arbitrage opportunities. And we were essentially trading for a year. Um, and that's when um, we finally were like, hey, do we want to be traders and just, you know, try to make money or do we want to deliver real value for both entrepreneurs at heart? Um, this has kind of been an interesting detour, but let's actually go after um, a more long-term uh, perspective here. And like, what do we want to build using this enabling technology? Um, and yeah, after a while, we decided we we're gonna go uh, build Origin together um, in 2017. And the rest is kind of history. We've been in this space since 2017. I've been working really hard. I've been through a couple different market cycles now, um, have had to do a number of product pivots um, and end up at where we're at today. Amazing. Well. On kind of maybe a great place to start from that kind of jumping off point would kind of be through the different multi, uh, market cycles. I think yeah. now uh, some people were either not as comfortable or just kind of earlier in their careers and kind of miss some of the earlier cycles. What would your advice be to founders today kind of going through crypto and building in the crypto winter, so to speak, uh, kind of being on their first cycle? Yeah, um, I have a lot of thoughts here, actually. So I think the first thing is um, the market is actually king, right? So macro conditions, um, not just within crypto, but just like global macro does dictate um, um, how, how global equities markets work, derivative markets work, bonds markets work, right? And you see that there are these um, signals that can make markets go up and down um, pretty dramatically, right? And one of them is um, interest rates, right? <laughs> when interest rates go up, um, people are uh, risk off and risk assets such as crypto um, tend to go down, right? And this was accelerated very much so last year because um, not only were people buying crypto um, uh, when interest rates were low in 2020 and 2021, 
but people started getting overconfident and rationally exuberant and they really leveraged up, right? And so that's why we saw these dramatic washouts last year where people were um, liquidated and margin called and uh, some people that made tons of money uh, lost pretty much everything, right? We saw 3AC crash. We obviously saw the um, Luna Terra thing, um, which is based on you know questionable um, um, technical principles in the first place. And then we saw the contagion thereafter, right? So um, Genesis, DCG, we saw um, certain centralized lending products like BlockFi and Celsius all go down. Um, and um, what's more fascinating in this last week is we see traditional finance haven't been affected by these interest rates as well. Um, without going into too many details, I think um, hopefully people are observant that um, you know SVB had uh, a big challenge, and some of these other banks um, also have challenges. Like when interest rates were low, they uh, bought a lot of long-term ten-year, um, thirty-year treasuries and mortgage-backed securities um, for a short yield, and then now that um, interest rates have been jacked up tremendously in the last um, you know twelve to eighteen months. Um, those assets are underwater, right? And so that's created a bit of a liquidity issue um, and caught a, caused a bank run on Silicon Valley Bank. Um, so I guess like the first thing is market is king. Market has been bad. Uh, market has caused a lot of contagion and a lot of businesses to fold um, and a lot of projects to go underwater. But um, we're kind of, I would say, um, at a point where it can't get too much worse, even though it can. <laughs> but I think it's at a point where um, you know, a lot of the people that were over leveraged in crypto have been um, kind of reset, right? Uh, and now the capital going in is a little bit more measured. It's not overly leveraged. Um, and also on a global macro perspective, um, I don't know exactly what will happen, but it's clear that um, the, the various um, government uh, treasuries will have to start thinking about like, hey, how do you actually uh, prevent um, additional bank runs? Does it mean we actually cut interest rates sooner, et cetera? Um, and so I think like there is a light at the end of the tunnel where um, I think in the next like, you know, 12 months, uh, maybe 18 months, I think there will be a correction more back to the upside. And so that's something to look forward to, right? So global macro markets improving. Um, the second thing I would say is uh, focus on building, right? Um, there have been many cycles before and the people that are building during the bear market that are delivering real value that are focusing on the people that are still in the space tend to um, do really well when the markets do warm up, right? Um, a great example of this is OpenSea, right? They were building in the bear market. They almost thought about shutting down the company. No one was using their product, uh, but they stayed in the game. They built the right features. And then as the NFT market um, started burgeoning, they became the big winners, um, at least in this last cycle, right? Um, the same thing with DeFi Summer 1.0, right? Um, in uh, late 2019 and 2020, um, people didn't really understand what companies like Compound or Synthetics were really up to, right? And it, um, even myself as being someone in crypto was like, I don't quite get it, right? Like the user experience for this stuff is so much higher. I believe in the concept of DeFi in general, but um, will these products actually work or are people just gonna use centralized exchanges and lenders for the foreseeable future? Um, and thankfully I was wrong, right? And so um, the people that are building that are kind of dealing with adversity in the bear markets, those are the um, um, entrepreneurs and the companies that stand to have tremendous upside um, when things turn, right? And um, it's always a non-linear thing. People expect, hey, input, output, input, output. The more input I put in, like I'm going to see kind of like this easy line up. That's not how crypto works. That's not how traditional startups work. Um, it's usually like grind, grind, grind. You're on an exponential path, but the numbers are so small in the beginning that you can't even tell that you're getting any traction, right? But exponential things look really small in the beginning. And then once they hit that inflection point, they go really 
um, high really fast, right? And so you have to survive long enough to hit that inflection point uh, and be able to turn into a rocket ship um, when the next cycle comes around. Uh, in terms of how to operate the company, I would say um, survival is the name of the game, right? So um, cut your burn, right? If you need to make layoffs, make those hard decisions sooner than later. Um, but also think about like, how are you spending your money, right? Like, do you need to be spending so much money uh, with marketing community um, where you're paying all these um, different influencers or these agencies, or should you be taking that in-house, um, building your community from people that actually care and um, doing it in a more um, capital efficient manner, right? Um, how do you hire 10X engineers? Um, it's not about the total headcount you have, it's about the output of your team. And so we, I've seen some other companies in the space where they're like, pride themselves on like, hey, we have like 60 uh, employees or we have 120 employees or we have like 5,000 employees. It's like, that's a terrible me metric. That's the vanity metric yeah. of like um, the founders um, just kind of wanting a, an empire. And it's like a lot of the best companies in the space like have like, you know, a couple dozen, right? You look at like Curve or you look at like Uniswap or you look at some of these like amazing companies, like um, they have pretty lean teams. So um, stay lean, stay hungry, focus on the long term, keep building. Uh, and then hope that we can get the, uh, we can survive long enough uh, for the macro conditions to improve and then everyone wins. Um, I love that. Um, great kind of um, separated uh, answers. I, I think it is very challenging. And I think, I mean, obviously conditions are not super favorable at the moment, but just from somebody that has gone through the experience and built a successful protocol, uh, stuck with it throughout the bear market and then kind of saw the fruits of your labor in the bull market. Uh, definitely lots of wisdom and lessons learned throughout that. So definitely appreciate that. Yeah, on, thank you. The origin, on the origin side, um, I mean, ultimately you did emerge, even though starting in kind of the 2017 timeframe, what was the main vision for Origin? You also said in the beginning that you pivoted a couple times. Um, and how has that, if any, kind of changed from what Origin is today? Yeah, um, for sure. Um, so the original vision was we wanted to build a marketplace protocol that allows anyone to buy and sell anything on chain, right? And so we are firm believers in this concept of decentralized commerce. Um, there's all these companies that are kind of like in the middle um, middlemen that take fees from the suppliers um, and or the buyers. Um, and um, how can we abstract some of that away uh, with permissionless sell, uh, smart contracts and, uh, and create more efficient ways for people to um, trade um, back and forth, right? And so our original product uh, was kind of like this end-all, be-all marketplace where people could use their MetaMask um, to, um, you know, buy or sell anything, right? Whether it was like a um, something, a listing that you would find on Craigslist or Etsy or even like a, a home rental or something like that. It was way too broad and it was also way too early. Um, people weren't using MetaMask even yet, right? And so um, Ethereum was, you know, well, it still is slow and expensive, um, but it was in even worse conditions um, back in the day. And the user experiences were just, you know, pretty terrible. So we pivoted a couple of times, um, launched um, some products that didn't really work and eventually found our footing uh, with two products that are still within this like decentralized commerce um, uh, realm, but um, look slightly different, right? Even though there's kind of like a similar uh, underlying theme. Um, so the first of which is Origin Story. And so this is our NFT platform. Um, it's uh, It started out a little bit as an NFT launchpad uh, where uh, celebrities and influencers could launch NFTs. 
Um, we did Blau's uh, $11.7 million sale that really kind of set headlines for the entertainment industry. Um, Paris Hilton is an advisor and investor. She's done a drop with us. And we worked with a lot of uh, really cool celebrities and influencers, as well as like NFT artists like Trevor Jones or uh, a lot of money. Um, and, and also some brands, right? Like we did a really interesting uh, drop with um, SpaceX and Inspiration4, which was their civilian space flight. Um, first time civilians were able to go into space um, without a um, actual, you know, government astronaut, right? And so that was really, really interesting. But what we realized is like, hey, this is actually our way to go back to uh, the original vision in a full circle way, right? Um, what we were missing in 2017 was like, how do you represent all these like goods and services on chain, well, it's really hard to represent them. Um, but with NFTs taking off, we realized that NFTs are actually the perfect digital representation of both other digital goods, as well as, um, you know, services, as well as like real world assets. Um, and so we're really excited about how NFTs can be this primitive fundamental building block that allows this type of uh, decentralized commerce, right? And this peer-to-peer commerce. Um, and so today, what we've seen already is like people are able to buy and sell digital art as NFTs, right? And that was kind of like the uh, first phase um, in 2021. Um, and now there's these digital collectible products, whether it's from NBA Top Shots or the PFP and Avatar projects. These are largely digital-only um, 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 concepts uh, for now, right? However, uh, we believe that NFTs are also going to be breaking into gaming, right? Um, that's digital only as well. But, you know, Google Play, uh, Apple App Store, they both generate tens of billions of dollars in in-app purchases today from people playing games. Um, and um, that's that's a huge market opportunity. Uh, we're also seeing that NFTs are breaking into real world assets. One of our partners, Roofstock. Um, they're a real estate company um, that's achieved unicorn status, um, and they're actually thinking about, hey, how do we disrupt our own business, right? Our, our Web2 business with Web3. And so we've helped them launch a NFT marketplace where these NFTs actually represent ownership in physical pieces of real estate. And so we sold a number of homes where the buyer is essentially buying an NFT, and the NFT um, actually gives ownership to an LLC that owns houses, right? And so that's this brand new concept. Uh, we believe that there are other physical assets like handbags or Rolexes or cars, or maybe it's like commercial real estate next, um, even commodities, right? Like gold, oil, um, that can be represented as NFTs and then sold on chain in this very efficient, interoperable manner. Um, and so we're really, really excited about that. And that is really where things can really come full circle with the original vision of allow anyone to buy or sell anything uh, on chain. And now it's like, hey, let's create the marketplace. These marketplaces are selling NFTs, but those NFTs can represent all this different type of stuff. That's really, really exciting. Um, and so that's our origin story product. We're very focused on um, um, allowing these creators uh, to um, really go deep with their um, businesses. And so we, we have stuff like Primary Mints. Uh, right now, we're uh, really pushing forward on our branded marketplace product. And so imagine it's like an, an open sea, but it's like, you know, creator centric. Um, royalties are enforced. Um, the creator controls the branding, the official collections. Um, there's uh, data analytics uh, on this marketplace. And then we're going to go really deep, right? So how do we add engagement features and gamification and social um, uh, features and also incentives to get these uh, creators to be really, really successful, um, whether they're selling PFPs um, or they're actually trying to wrap NFTs into um, other assets like gaming assets, physical goods or tickets, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we're doing on the 
uh, origin story side. We actually have a completely separate business um, called Origin Dollar. That's a yield earning stable coin. Um, it's DeFi made simple. How do we get the masses onto DeFi without requiring them to, um, you know, use their own bots and spreadsheets to uh, figure out risk reward and measure, you know, complex yield and permanent loss and all that type of stuff. Um, and so that's a um, that's a product we're also very excited about. It came um, through various experiments when we went through that pivot phase. Um, and it's um, yeah, it's it's really exciting because we think that a lot of you know corporate treasuries and DAOs and eventually uh, Web three retail people that aren't as savvy as DGEN, so to speak, um, can start earning really strong yields uh, without having to go through the hassle and the security risks. Very interesting. Lots of different products, and interesting to see how kind of the product has morphed over time. On that front, I mean, I I think personally. NFTs kind of caught me by surprise after DeFi summer um, and how big they got. But um, in kind of the first iteration being the PFP kind of era, now, I mean, as you kind of were speaking to, are you and the team kind of viewing NFTs more as like the digital primitive that unlocks kind of digital ownership and then building the marketplace just to be able to kind of... encapsulate and support uh, digital transfers or digital collectibles? Um, It's a little bit of both, right? So I see NFTs as this fundamental primitive, as we're talking about, right? And uh, maybe if you'll give me the luxury to go on the side for like another two minutes. Um, I I think of NFT technology as so much like HTML in the early days of the internet. Um, In the beginning, people didn't really fully understand it. They're like, why do I need an HTML web page? Um, other than the early adopters, people were kind of like, this is stupid, right? I can watch TV to get my content or um, read a physical na- newspaper to get my daily news updates. And I can call my friends on the phone. Um, th- this email thing is stupid, right? Fast forward a few years and everyone is using email. Social networks is a brand new industry. There's blogging, there's user-generated content, there's vi- video streaming. And eventually that you know plays out further and further and further. And then there's like, you know, the mobile movement. And so I think like NFTs are kind of like this fundamental building block where in the beginning, um, there are um, slightly more limited use cases as the first use cases, but they're going to start branching out um, into these disparate um, verticals and very specialized use cases. And so our perspective is how do you build uh, for a future where NFT technology serves as the backbone for all different types of creators and businesses, um, but build a, um, a platform or protocol that's flexible enough to serve multiple use cases and not just um, digital art or PFPs. Um, our product serves PFP projects very well right now because that's where there's a lot of heat and activity. That's where there's a lot of trading volume. Um, that's where people are focusing um, in this current bear market. Um, but really, our, our dream is like, how do we allow the creation of um, unique ecosystems for different NFT projects. And so um, I, I kind of liken to um, past history again. Um, in the Web 2 world, um, well, Web 1 and Web 2 world, um, there's the concept of um, um, aggregators versus platforms, right? So an aggregator is like an Amazon, right? So let's aggregate the supply side. Um, so all the sellers sell on Amazon and um, Amazon aggregates demand for consumers that are buying on the buy side. Great model. Uh, Everyone uses Amazon. I love Amazon. But there are some shortcomings, right? These aggregators tend to um, commoditize their supplier base over time. So 
Um, Amazon makes all these, you know, sellers have like a one size fits all UI. They charge um, listing fees and marketplace fees. And these, these suppliers are very dependent on um, Amazon um, for revenue, but also at the same time, kind of, kind of annoyed, right? And I kind of see that as like the OpenSea or Blur model. These aggregators that drive a lot of liquidity, that drive a lot of transactions, um, but then they also, in a way, are um, hurting some of the projects, right? They're doing things like, hey, no creator royalties now, or minimum creator royalties, or let's actually reduce the focus on the art and make the profile images really small and try to treat them more as just like speculative assets, right? And so there's this commoditization of the supplier side. Um, on the other side, um, there are other companies in the Web 1, one two, Web 2 worlds like Shopify or Squarespace or WooCommerce that allowed these direct-to-consumer experiences where uh, the buyer's experience was uh, much more custom and branded, right? And the seller had more control. Um, there's third-party applications that can be added onto the Shopify platform to create richer experiences, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that's going to happen with NFTs as well. And we want to position ourselves to almost pursue more of the Shopify model, where we provide the infrastructure and tooling. Um, initially, yes, a lot of these like digital artists, celebrities, and PFP um, projects to allow them to have successful um, businesses. And that's where we lead with the marketplace um, because people are buying and selling. Um, we lead with kind of like data Atlantic analytics around the holder base and how healthy it is and you know distribution and top holders and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we're now leaning into uh, additional features like, hey, how do we actually gamify the experience, create incentives and triggers for the collector base to engage with the project on a daily basis, um, have it be a little bit more vertically integrated um, and that's kind of our wedge, right? That's where we're focusing on developing a strong tech product. Um, but we very much have aspirations of like, hey, once we um, continue to solidify our beachhead with the market of today, right? Artists, PFP projects, um, maybe some early um, entrance into real world assets like Roofstock, um, maybe some gaming partners. Um, we're seeing a lot more activity there. But as we build out our technology suite, how do we make it modularized enough? How do we make it so that in the future, um, NFT projects and businesses can pick and choose parts of our tech stack, just like people, uh, Shopify merchants can choose um, their own themes and which apps to add on and what features to make their store differentiated and unique and have better uh, utility for their customers versus someone that's like trying to sell on Amazon, right? And the two are not mutually exclusive. Um, they can work very, very uh, hand in hand. There's people that sell on Shopify that also sell on uh, Amazon that also sell on eBay. Um, and so it, um, I think that same thing will play out in NFTs. Um, but the way we think about it is focus on the customer that is today, deliver really good value, but then skate where the puck is going, not just focus on that today. And so we are thinking about things on uh, how do we serve real world assets or gaming partners or um, you know uh, people that are trying to do access passes or experiences um, as opposed to only uh, PFPs today. Yeah, I definitely echo the sentiments that uh, kind of the aggregators versus like being able to customize your own platform. I initially actually thought this was going to be the more dominant kind of model from the get-go, uh, but the aggregators definitely got quite a bit of market share uh, yeah. quite early on. I, I do think, as you mentioned, kind of skating as the puck is skating to where the puck is going. This is going to be the dominant kind of model in the future, especially as uh, communities grow larger and want to kind of have their own uh, either royalties or different fees, being able to kind of customize it through different chats or live streaming. 
all that yeah. will be something that is a little bit harder today, but something that you and the team are building at Origin to make easier for these communities. Um, so it's very interesting. I, I, I do think this is where the world is headed. On, on that front, I mean, if the world is kind of heading towards uh, kind of l- less verticalization, um with like the aggregator style and kind of more custom what do you see happening to kind of the aggregators today do you think they still kind of remain these large players in the ecosystem or do you view them more as a competitor or complementary um they are both competitors and complementary um (laughs) that's a weird hedged answer but i would say that um i am actually quite bullish on blur and uh OpenSea in that they will continue to generate tons of volumes and um, have um, strong user bases, right? And um, that might be a little bit of a hot take because like, you know, we're very like pro creator and want to build this separate business model and this separate uh, way of serving um, creators and their collectors. Uh, but again, I don't think it's mutually exclusive, right? Amazon's a giant business and so is, um, you know, the combination of Shopify, Squarespace, WooCommerce, et cetera. And so I think there is a place for aggregation, right? It's a little bit more commoditized, as I was saying. Like NFTs on OpenCR, like one size fits all. It's like, here's what it looks like. Here's the metadata. Um, and here are some traits and you can search and filter and stuff like that. But you can't really do anything with those NFTs, Right. On OpenSea, you can't stake your NFT. Um, if you have a board ape, you actually have to go to a separate website to stake your NFT, right? Um, you can't actually engage in any uh, more complex mechanics around, hey, if I burn this NFT, I get something else. That's all happening on these like creator sites, right? Um, you can't do things like um, um, showcase it in a, in a better way. Um, there aren't any like real social features um, or um, there's some analytics features on OpenSea, but in a way, their um, their approach um, is both a blessing and a curse. The blessing is they aggregate everything. They have a lot of liquidity and network effects. There's a ton of buy and sells. They are the dominant player in terms of um, number of wallets, uh, although Blur is taking market share in terms of transaction volume because they're focusing on the um, you know, market makers, power traders, and degens. Um, but you can never like go super deep on one of these platforms, right? Because in a world where there are, you know, not just a few thousand NFT projects, but there are millions of different NFT projects in a couple of years, how do you build the features to serve all, you know, million um, different projects on a single platform? And so the aggregators, I think, will serve um, as uh, good products as like clearing houses for for just buying and selling, um, but it's not going to serve the needs of creators that are trying to build these like community-centric features, right? You're not going to have like really cool types of like social chat or like leaderboards is something we're working on to kind of like rank members of the community in various different games. Um, some of our partners are trying to branch um, into like kind of periphery businesses, right? So um, along with your NFT, you may get licensing rights or along with your NFT, you may get like physical merchandise um, or a toy or um, with your NFT, maybe there's a cross promotion between NFT projects where if I hold uh, NFT from project X, then I get benefits on uh, project Y, right? And vice versa. That stuff is not stuff that OpenSea is going to be ta- able to tackle. Uh, whereas if you build it in a more like distributed, decentralized way where it's like, hey, here are these apps or modules or APIs, and then we empower creators and um, businesses to um, uh, pick and choose and customize and things like that, then these experiences can be created, right? And so then you end up with like, uh, rather than one large island, you end up with like an archipelago of many smaller islands that have activity, right? That can also be thriving. And so um, I think both are going to happen. 
Um, and I think both markets will increase in size because we are still so early. So OpenSea should be able to 10x their business in you know a few years, right? But that doesn't mean that you know companies like Origin and you know some other people in the space that are doing this more like bespoke um, customization model can't also 10x or 100x. And so um, they're they're wildly different strategies serving. Um, kind of like the same general market, but different use cases, different target customers, um, and um, different implementations. But I, I think overall, NFTs are just going to be so dominant and um, tackle so many industries. They're going to wrap, you know, a couple trillion dollars of assets probably in like five or ten years. Um, that there's enough room for everyone to play, and so it's like competitive, but also um, weirdly complementary as well. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I mean, the the total addressable market today is going to be nothing compared to what it will be in the future. Um, yeah. Maybe on that front, I mean, when we saw DeFi summer kind of uh, kicking off, we saw kind of higher gas prices. And then once NFTs really took off, we saw a little bit higher gas prices. Obviously, you've been in the game for a long time and Ethereum was kind of the only choice uh, yeah. at that point in time. How are you kind of viewing either different layer twos for like increased scalability. Um, I know um, the technical side shouldn't matter as much, but I think just the fact that at the end of the day, the end customer does pay some of these gas prices, it can be a little bit of a challenge from an onboarding. So how are you viewing layer twos or different ecosystems outside of Ethereum uh, from the product perspective? Yeah, um, great question. So um, if you look at the data, uh, most of the um, transaction volume um, by by dollar spent is still largely on Ethereum, right? Um, and so this is not entirely surprising because many of the people that are in NFTs today are the early adopters. And the early adopters are a little bit less price um, sensitive because they're probably also early to Ethereum or crypto in the first place. And so there is like this weird market dynamic where um, a lot of like, you know, heavy NFT trading um, is still with like a small group of, you know, let's just call them whales, right? Um, and so I think that um, current environment supports that type of behavior um, quite well. Um, my feel is that, yes, there will be continued activity on layer twos um, and perhaps alternate chains as well. Um, and if we were successful as an industry, um, this should be largely abstracted away from the user, like you were saying, right? Uh, people won't necessarily think of them as NFTs. They might just think of this as like, hey, this is a cool um, in-app game item, right, that I can use across multiple games, right? Rather than being siloed to, um, you know, whatever, right? Um, Fortnite or whatever, I can take this new avatar and bring it to the Meta VR experience, the new Apple Air experience, and like five other games or whatever. Um, and so the NFT has to have demonstrated utility. Um, and so I think that part's going to be really important. Um, what chain it's on um, is probably going to be less important over time. And end users um, may not even fully know, right? They may have um, custodial wallets uh, before learning how to self-custody. Um, like we're seeing that with some of these like Fortune 500 brands, like um, Reddit's like NFT program is very successful, but they market them as digital collectibles. And they create wallets yeah. on behalf of users. And a lot of users don't even know their NFT share, right? And so that's when we know we're going to be really successful. And so you have to build the right technology rails. Um, I think that means supporting Ethereum mainnet, but also um, layer twos and alternate chains. And particularly with like EVM compatible 
layer twos, it's a lot easier, right? It's a lot easier to uh, say, hey, we can support um, Ethereum mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, Optimism, et cetera. Um, hey, let's throw in BNB chain, let's throw in Avalanche, right? Um, it's harder to then say, hey, we're also going to support um, Solana, even though I'm, uh, I hold a lot of Solana, or we're going to support the new uh, move ecosystem chains like Aptos or Sweet. That requires more development effort and also, I think, like user education. But I do think it's going to be a multi-chain world. Uh, I'm not Ethereum maxi, even though I'm like very bullish on Ethereum. Uh, I do think that uh, if you look at the, the first couple waves of the internet, um, um, a lot of the really cool technology is abstracted away, right? Like I don't really know how you and I are talking right now to get this, you know, the video encoding and streaming and all that stuff, right? Uh, and most people don't think about um, TCP/IP as the protocol. Uh, for uh, email, right? Or most people don't understand HTTP or HTTPS and HTML and you know all the programming languages and frameworks and stuff like that. So um, that that stuff all needs to be hidden under the covers in the next five or ten years. Um, I do think that in the short term, uh, the people that are involved in the space um, will need to be educated on layer twos and alternate chains, and we're actually seeing that, right? We're seeing. Um, you know, for a while, there's a pretty vibrant ecosystem uh, for NFTs on Solana. Um, Avalanche probably a little bit slower, but they're trying to make a, a bigger push. And then certainly um, the layer twos, um, Polygon is, you know, one of the best examples of, hey, everyone's using Polygon NFTs right now, right? From Starbucks or, um, you know, some of these other Fortune 500 companies, their, their BD team um, is just executing at a very, very high level. Um, and so, yeah. It's going to be a multi-chain world, uh, layer ones and layer twos. Um, rising tide raises all ships, right? <laughs> For sure. No, I'm I'm excited that there's kind of different tech taking different points of view. And exactly as you said, I mean, today, like the industry is still so small. We're looking, when you look at the on-chain data, uh, there is lots of volumes, but not very many like addresses. And so I'm always super yeah. excited to see more addresses or users come into the ecosystem and try things on chain, um, regardless of which chain it is. Um, yeah. but no, uh, happy to, uh, appreciate you kind of sharing some clarity on that on maybe pivoting a little bit back. I mean, initially you said you kind of started out with these creators, uh, kind of more celebrity types, even launching, yeah. uh, pudgy penguins. Could you talk about, uh, kind of some of the early learning lessons of working with either those creators or celebrities? And then, um, was pudgy penguins kind of the first big, uh, like splash or what was the first kind of like moment where you're like, okay, this is going to be big for origin and the, the team. Yeah. I think the first big splash was our, uh, actual, our first, um, drop with, uh, Blau, the musician and producer, uh, who's now CEO of Royal. Um, they're using NFTs for, um, uh, royalties, um, the music royalties, not to confuse with NFT royalties. Um, and so that, that really caught the world by storm, right? So that was like the largest sale um, at the time. Um, it kind of broke records. Now, since then, there have been larger ones, um, but that broke records. Uh, and so there's a lot of attention, right? Like, oh, all these musicians and celebrities and influencers wanted to get into NFTs and, um, you know, our inboxes were flooded, right? And so that's when we were able to um, also do um, primary mints for a number of these like, very high profile people that I would have never expected to befriend and, and work with. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Paris Hilton 
earlier. Um, I'm also a big, um, I guess, like EDM music fan. So got to work with Cashmere and Don Diablo and Bass Jackers and BT. And it's like, wow, this is really interesting how like um, th- my interest in like music and tech are kind of converging together. Right. And so that was a super, super cool experience. Um, and then we started working with some um, brands and um, I mentioned the SpaceX inspiration Four thing. That was like a really cool drop, right? We helped raise money for St. Jude's totally nonprofit. We took no fees. Um, we timed the NFT drop uh, when the shuttle took off and it ended when they splashed down um, really unique moment in history. And it was really cool to be a part of. Um, and so those are kind of like our earlier successes. Um, then as we started to build, um, in addition to just like primary mints and go secondaries and engagement features, that's when we started working with more of these um, PFP projects, right? And so Pudgy Penguins is probably um, our best known partner um, since they're you know one of the blue chip uh, NFT um, projects. Uh, we are um, you know in conversations with some of the other blue chips on uh, integrating our technology with them. Um, can't release too much uh, alpha there just at the moment. Um, but I think one of the things that we saw with Pudgy as well as our um, other PFP projects is like community is paramount, right? And um, without community, then these really are just like silly JPEGs. But when you have community um, and then um, there's utility, um, then you actually have like a real digital asset. It's a real digital product um, that people care about and there's real value to subscribe to it. So um, how do you actually help these creators um, deliver the value that they're promising in their roadmaps and things like that, right? Um, and so that's, uh, again, where it ties back to our current roadmap now of like, hey, let's create a home uh, for the Pudgy community as well as, you know, dozens of other communities um, to spend time together, right? So they can buy and sell NFTs, right, which is what they're already doing on OpenSea or Blur, but they can also engage deeper, right? How do you turn it from like a branded marketplace product to an ecosystem product? How do we help Pudgy have an entire ecosystem where... Um, as they're, you know, building the other parts of their business, right? I can't go into additional details, but there are some components that will tie into the real world, right? Um, and we've done some cool things with Pudgies around like um, leaderboards and soulbound tokens for their top holders and kind of highlighting members of their community. Um, that's like one level deeper than just the marketplace. And then the ongoing roadmap, we have a lot of interesting ideas that will come uh, to market in the next two months or so around um, gamification, right? How do you get people to uh, in the community to really, really um, be engaged? Um, um, how do you incentivize certain behaviors that are healthy for the projects, but also healthy for the collectors? Um, how do we actually get people to care about royalties, right? Because that's this life, um, this lifeblood for a lot of these creators, but companies like Blur and OpenSea are taking an anti-creator stance and going, you know, low, low royalties essentially, right? And so we're thinking about some ways to um, add in um, social features, engagement features, gamification features, ways to preserve royalties um, and perhaps even grow them. And so, um, you know, knock on wood, but as these um, product features come out in the next few months, we're hoping we can make an even bigger splash uh, by showing just how pro creator we are um, and how, hey, it's not just, hey, let's build a you know branded marketplace to compete against, um, you know, OpenSea, but it's like we're actually in you know, an entirely different business about enabling creators and their collectors to engage at a deeper level. Um, And part of that is the buying and selling as in a marketplace, but part of it is, you know, way deeper, right? And it's way more specific. Yeah. I'm very excited, kind of, one, on the creator side, and then two, 
on social and how those two will kind of ultimately intersect. I think it has been very, very early today and we're just now kind of playing with the early iterations of probably what will, it will come to be similar to maybe, um, um, crypto kitties, uh, kind of being like one of the earlier NFT side of things before they really got big a couple of years later. And yep. so I am very excited to kind of watch how the creator side will ultimately play out because I think right now the market does not really serve creators very well. You really only have like YouTube, maybe TikTok, uh, and a couple others, but outside of that, uh, there's kind of some web two instances, but the first person and first team that cracks the social creator side, um, is going to be rewarded massively. And also I think just make a lot of careers that weren't previously possible without kind of the web three or crypto underpinning. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Right. And I'm um, going back to the earlier part of our conversation where we talked about like, um, these aggregators that you know, sometimes end up commoditizing um, the people that they built their business off of. Like we're seeing that, right? With Instagram and uh, even YouTube where, you know, I started my career at where uh, in the beginning it was all about like the little creator and how to make them successful. And then over time, it's like, well, it's better ad revenues, right? And so how do we um, get the most viewership and um, how do we kind of extract value? Um, and so it's an unfortunate um thing for creators uh, but it's also like not unpredictable just seeing like um what's been happening in history over time um i do think nfts present this possibility of finally kind of like turning that on its head right um this on- concept of like true digital ownership and digital scarcity and provenance and everyone knows who the creator is because they're smart contract and um, the creator can do things that interact directly um with their collector base um so it's a very powerful paradigm and we haven't seen it fully um i think develop um outside of um you know so, some of the top nft artists and you know some of the top pfp projects like yuga labs or zuki or pudgy um but it, it will continue right um this doesn't mean that every single creator is going to uh, be making a boatload of money uh, on web3 um, just like everything else I think um, cream rises to the top and it's going to be a power curve. And so there are going to be some creators that are going to be way more successful than others. But at least um, there are new tools and new um, paradigms that any creator um, can get started with today, right? Like 14-year-old digital artists can start selling NFTs in a few minutes, right? Um, with tools that we provide or other players provide. Um, and uh, that's really, really powerful. Um, the ironic thing and, and kind of something you alluded to is a lot of like these like social features around engaging with the community, whether it's Discord or Twitter, et cetera, are very Web2 based. <laughs> um, and so I'm curious to see what will happen. There is a, a growing movement around uh, decentralized social, right? Uh, whether that's with like Lens Protocol uh, or, or DSO or whatever, right? But there's companies thinking about like, hey, how do you actually change social graphs so that they're more open um, and users own their data rather than being uh, having all this data owned by like a, a Facebook or a TikTok, et cetera. Um, that's still very, very early. I'm not entirely sure when that's going to be mature enough. And like um, NFTs are kind of going this way and DSO is going this way. At some point, I think there's going to be like more converging in between. Um, and that's going to be pretty uh, intriguing to say, uh, see. Um, but it'll probably take, you know, uh, a couple of years to 
to, to play out where we, we really see uh, massive benefits for the creators. Definitely. And I mean, one thing that you said there was kind of more tools that you're building to empower them. Yeah. I know you're actively working on them. Can you touch upon like any specific things that you're uh, looking to kind of provide on the tool side for the creators or even like on the gaming front as well? Yeah. I mean, like, um, uh, maybe I can talk a little bit at a high level, right? So, um, th there's a couple things. So the first of which I mentioned is like, um, th this concept of like community and, um, you know, I'll even throw out the word like status, right? People like to, um, it's a basic human instinct to, um, show off a little bit. Right. And so how do you like allow people to, you know, show off the things that, um, are worth showing off, right. Whether that's being a, like a very loyal um, holder uh, within a collection or, you know, a top collector, or it might be like, Hey, I'm one of the people that support creators on paying royalties. Right. And so you're paying royalties. You should be given that social credit. Um, so that's like kind of like a basic piece of gamification. Right. Um, and the, the thing that we've seen work pretty well, actually I'll address like one of the aggregators uh, with blur is they've actually created a, a strong um, incentive system, right. To get people to, um, kind of like buy and sell, right? And they're using it specifically to decrease the bid-ask spread on their marketplace and essentially allow the market makers to have incentives to market make and uh, create more liquidity for all these projects. And so that's their strategy. It works very well for them. And it's meant that there's a lot of trading volume there. Um, but we think that there can be similar types of high-level incentives, like token incentives, um, that can be applied um, that incentivize other behaviors, again, more creator-friendly uh, creator behaviors, right? And so that's an area of research and uh, experimentation that we're excited to bring to the market. Um, we're, we're thinking through like, hey, are there ways that um, creators can incentivize the things that they want to um, incentivize? And how do we build the tools to help them do that, right? How do we make it easier um, for creators to track uh, members of the community that are paying royalties or, you know, engaging the most or doing like daily check-ins maybe, right? Um, kind of like checking into the site uh, and or um, chatting with other people in the community. Um, and then how do you reward them, right? Do you help creators um, uh, launch uh, additional NFT mints or maybe it's like a soulbound NFT airdrop to people that, you know, hit certain milestones? Um, and, uh, you know, even how do we help uh, creators launch ERC-20s? Um, we've seen, you know, some projects such as, you know, uh, Yuga Labs is probably the best example. Like ApeCoin um, has added this whole new element to the community um, that's uh, partially financial, but also very much centered around around community governance. And hey, the community owns it, can, can vote on proposals and things like that. Um, those things were kind of like cobbled together by um, Yuga Labs internally and with a couple of external vendors. Uh, but can you actually make that simpler so that any creator can kind of create their own ecosystem where they can, um, you know, launch some of these features without having to hire their own development teams, right? And so that's kind of like an area we're thinking about really pushing hard on um, and taking it beyond, hey, we're just buying and selling NFTs and kind of looking at the um, pictures or videos. And it's like, hey, create deeper engagement with those NFTs and allow the community to uh, really do some cool, fun things with it. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's all uh, incentive alignment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's like one of the things is like, how do you make it not a zero sum game? Right. Um, yeah. That's one of the biggest things about crypto uh, versus like actually gambling in a casino. Um, crypto is not a zero sum game because uh, as the market grows, everyone can win together. Right. And as there's more adoption, everyone can win together. And so 
how do you make it so that creators can win, collectors can win, the technology providers like us can win, um, the you know future consumers can win and participate as well. Like there's just so much room for the market to grow. And so I do think some of these zero sum games that um, some of the aggregator marketplaces are engaging in, right? Like race to the bottom on fees and like cutting creator royalties and kind of like, uh, yeah, just treating them as commodities is, is um, a very different strategy than the one we're picking at Origin, right? Which is like, how do we find the win-win-win for all the participants? And, um, you know, it, it's it's a hard problem to solve, but one that we think is uh, a very worthwhile problem to solve. Definitely. And maybe uh, going back originally, I mean, started out with a kind of more specific point of view, working with kind of the high profile people, and then ultimately kind of building out towards today's vision of kind of the marketplace for online um, NFTs, collectibles, or whatever kind of facet NFTs ultimately take form. How do you kind of are you separating out these different buckets from like uh gaming to creators to like pfps or are you trying to just allow empower the individual to kind of build their own marketplaces in that sense um so yeah so uh, i i think the answer um here revolves around timing right so um again i think our dream in the mid to long term is that it shouldn't be like a one-size-fits-all product because NFTs aren't one size fits all and there's going to be different use cases, verticals, different types of customers, etc. Um, now today we have to build for the market that is currently there and that is vibrant, right? And so that does happen to um, over index a little bit on kind of like the PFPs and collectibles side. Um, but we are working, you know, progressively with more and more partners that are um, doing some of these like more uh, forward-looking use cases that I, I mentioned. Um, now, um, in terms of execution, one of the things we need to watch out for is like, hey, how do you build in the right sequence, get enough traction in one area before we spread ourselves too thin to new verticals and things like that. Um, and so we still have to figure all the moving parts there. But our ultimate aspirations are like um, building something that can serve many different classes of partners and customers. Um, but we can't, you know, uh, we, we can't try to, you know, solve six different verticals um, at once today. Um, otherwise, we're just going to build products that uh, aren't, aren't very useful. True. I, I think that goes back to our earlier conversation of uh, make sure you survive to the, the next kind of bulk yeah. cycle. Yeah, totally. Excellent. Um, maybe just kind of wrapping it up. I mean, I, I think it's very... Uh, it's amazing to hear what you're building, kind of empowering the creators, kind of taking that win-win approach, uh, not trying to opting out of kind of the zero-sum games that some people are playing um, and really trying to put the tools into the people that hopefully will build Web3 and bring on kind of the masses. On that front, though, um, now is a challenging time. We kind of touched upon it initially with like the different backdrop what would you have like any specific like words of wisdoms to founders uh, now that are kind of going maybe haven't ha found product market fit like you have um, and are trying to kind of continue to iterate uh, during the next year or two? Yeah, um, I mean, this is probably going to sound very cliche, but like stick very close to your customers, right? Um, and you know, um, this is 
how successful companies were built in web one and web two, which is um, oftentimes it's more important to find a small group of very passionate customers first and um, have them um, really not be able to live without your product, right? And when you're onto that and you can build kind of like deep and successfully, it's way easier to branch out thereafter um, versus if you're kind of like a mediocre product that serves a lot of people, but everyone's kind of like lukewarm about how much they need your product. Um, that's kind of a dangerous position to be in because you might have these vanity metrics around the number of customers you have um, and think that you have uh, a business that is going to work. But if you don't have that, you know, deep engagement and customer loyalty and, you know, um, organic customer referrals, um, then that's something that you should um, really double back on and make sure you have that. Um, two, I think we are in a web three world, right? And incentives um, are one of the most interesting aspects of web three. Like how do you give away part of what you're doing to your early users to get them to be even more passionate and to be those referrals um, and to care. And so I think tokenomics is something to really um, think deeply about. And um, it's not the case where you just want to like empty your treasury and give tokens to everyone in a thoughtless way, because then everyone just insta dumps it and you're like, okay, that was a cool, you know, one month marketing exercise, but now my engagement is gone, right? And so thinking about, hey, how does, um, you know, a lot of, not all Web3 companies, but a lot of Web3 companies have tokens. Like, how do you think about how the token fits into your product um, in a thoughtful way? And that usually means you give it away um, as token emissions, but you also have to have token sinks. How do you actually lock up supply, whether it's staking or burning or um, giving other uh, reasons for people to uh, use your token, such as decentralized governance or uh, fee accruals, things like that. And so that's a unique advantage um, and tool in Web3. And so um, that should be a core part of your strategy. Um, another thing I would say is, um, um, yeah, again, just basic operational excellence around where do you trim costs? How do you stay alive? Um, we don't know when the next bull market is going to hit. Um, and it'd be a shame if your company dies like three months before the next bull market hits, that could have like completely changed the trajectory, right? Um, like I've talked to, um, uh, you know, a founder friend of mine and uh, in the last cycle, he actually was first um, to an NFT marketplace before OpenSea. But um, during the bear market, it ended up just not being a very viable business and they closed it up. Um, OpenSea stuck with it and they were able to survive in a very lean way and then uh, 18 months later, OpenSea became, you know, a household name in the crypto world, right? And so, again, can't control uh, global macro dynamics, but you can control your burn rate. You can control um, how quickly you hire and the quality of your hires. You can control how um, deeply you care about your customers and um, are you tackling um, a, a pain point and, and is your product a painkiller or is it more kind of like a vitamin, right? So. Those are things you can control. And if you can control those well, uh, it's only a matter of time, right? The business cycles, they're, they're called cycles for a reason. There's ups and downs. It's happened for thousands of years, um, contractions and expansions. And so stay alive, be a cockroach, work hard, grind, um, preserve cash, uh, aggregate great talent. There's a lot of great talent coming um, into Web3 um, and it's less expensive to hire them right now because of uh, layoffs and um, you know, salary compressions, things like that. So aggregate great people, sit close to your customers, survive. And then when the next bull market comes, be prepared to harvest. Very wise words and very true. Uh, last and final question. Uh, I kind of end the podcast on spicy questions. 
my spicy question to you is what ecosystem or project do you think is doing things uniquely well? And then what do you think ecosystem or project is kind of taking the wrong approach? Uh, interesting. Um, specifically within NFTs or, or crypto overall? Uh, uh, crypto overall. Um, just something that you you think they either execute well, whether it's Ethereum, a different L2, or other ecosystem, or a specific project. Yeah. Um, a couple come to mind. So um, I think one of the interesting L2s is Arbitrum. They have a lot of volume right now, and they actually haven't launched a token yet. Um, um, and I think this is a pretty interesting tactic where uh, people expect them to at some point, but in anticipation of that, uh, a lot of people are using the network, right? And they're able to um, refine their product, figure out scalability, figure out the user experiences. Um, and so sometimes like the timing of when you drop that token is um, quite beneficial. Um, um, also, Blur did a really great job with their token incentive program, um, kind of getting people to use it in various different phases and seasons. Um, um, in contrast, I think like companies like Luxrare and um, XCY2 with their token launches um, were a little bit more haphazard, right? Just like very large emissions since start wasn't you know that great of a reason to um, use the token, and so you saw like these you know pumps and dumps, and then like the token economies are less uh, healthy now. Um, so those are a couple things to point out. Um, I think one interesting, really interesting project that hasn't launched yet. Um, Hard to say if they're going to do well or not, but I'm quite bullish on what the technology means, and uh, I'm very excited to um, see them launch and potentially really change the game for Ethereum. Is this company called uh, Eigenlayer? Um, and Eigenlayer, um, I've done um, a podcast with Sharam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when I first heard about it, I was like, "Wow, this could like be completely game changing um, because you can." Um, Rather than having every single individual project having to um, get validators and nodes um, in their ecosystem to secure the networks, you can just borrow the security of Ethereum, which is the most you know secure smart contract platform by far now. And by creating this you know infrastructure layer that allows Ethereum validators that are already staking Ethereum to earn even more money through Eigenlayer, um, through these apps that are built on top of Eigenlayer that can offer in- incentives. Um, that's just like yeah, an amazing flywheel, right? Um, Ethereum that's already being used is more capital efficient. Validators that are already participating can make more money. Um, projects that um, want um, decentralized security can borrow the security of Ethereum um, and get bootstrapped faster and launch um, more quickly and grow their communities. It's just like um, going back to that phrase earlier, win, win, win. Like um, it could be a win for everyone, right? Yeah. Win for Ethereum holders, right? Win for validators, win for projects, and win for eigenlayers. So that's one that I'm definitely excited about and watching very, very closely. Um, and again, it's all about incentive alignment, right? How do you actually allow people to uh, potentially make more money but add more value uh, with what they're doing? And and so I think that um, incentive alignment thing is really, really exciting on top of the technology that they're building. Interesting. And so... That was the positive. Are there any projects, ecosystems that you think are doing anything uniquely bad or just making the wrong decisions? Uh, I think there are a lot. Um, I, I probably won't name them specifically, but I think there are a lot of projects that are taking like very short-term stances, right? Um, with crypto, it's easy to kind of start a project, launch your token, get some liquidity. Um, and then some of the founders just 
uh, cash out and then stop caring, right? And so I've seen a number of projects um, that where the founders were like, you know, super passionate and pitching hard and working hard in 2021 and saying they're going to change the world. And then last year, where everything started crashing, like, um, yeah, more than, you know, a handful or a dozen of project founders that I've seen personally or even have known personally where I'm like, what the hell are you doing, right? You're not working anymore. You're not trying, right? Like, I see you attending these conferences. That's cool. You're like, you know, partying, um, but you're not working, right? Um, I don't see any, like, commits to your GitHub. I don't see, um, you know, product traction. I don't see investor updates. And, like, some people are just checked out, right? They launched your token, made, you know, some money, and they're just like, okay, like, bear market's here. I don't really care. And I think that sucks. Um, that's a terrible way for industry to progress. Um, it gives uh, investors uh, a bad taste in their mouths. Um, it actually perpetuates, you know, some of the criticism that we're seeing in the industry around, hey, people are just in it for the money. Um, it's like cash grabs. And like, those are the actors that um, really disappoint me. Um, not going to publicly throw out those names, but uh, don't do that, right? Like if you're going to start a project, build for the long term, try to deliver real value for the world and the financial stuff will pay off, right? Like if you're delivering value, like there are very rarely companies that don't actually uh, end up with great outcomes if if you're actually solving big problems. So, um, yeah. Perfect. Well, we'll end it there. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Matt. Really appreciate everything that you're building at Origin uh, and wish you and the team uh, the most success.